beautiful people. Thank you for joining us again on Generational Archives. And I am Dr. Reina J. Leon, and I'm here with my mother, Dr. Norma D. Thomas. Mommy, how are you going to introduce yourself today? Well, I'm happy to be here, and the topic is of the day is near and dear to my heart. So let's get to that topic. We are going to be talking about um, my grandfather, Grandpop, and that um, Ed- Edward Llewellyn Thomas. But before we start about talking about Grandpop, you had a check-in question. So what was your check-in question? Well, the check-in question would be, how would each of us describe my father just using three words So three phrases? For me, the three words would be gentle, it would be um, supportive, and it would be creative. That would be my last one. Oh, you changed I that. changed it. We <laughs> talked about it beforehand, but I changed it. So mine would be family-oriented, strong work ethic, and brilliant. Mm-hmm. Would you also have added stubborn? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think a lot of people would describe my father as stubborn. They also would describe him, one of his nicknames was Scrooge, so he could pinch a penny until it screamed. (laughs) But that had to do with as much maybe being frugal as being the father of many children. And so that was out of necessity as well. And so I, I was just thinking about, oh, sometimes, you know, we talk about who is the most stubborn in my family and our family, and I'm always at the bottom of that list. I'm yeah, not right, stubborn right. at all. <laughs> um, and Poppy is usually at, at pretty high up there. Um, you are you're not as high as um, Theto is, but I I want to say that as I remember Grandpa, he probably would have beat us all. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I I'm absolutely sure of that too. So, um, what do you want to tell us about Grandpa today? Well, first, I want to start out with a poem that I wrote concerning my father. I love it when you start with a poem. And it's called Saint Daddy. I knew my father was a good man. I knew my father as a provider for his children. I knew my father as a soft-spoken man toward his children anyway. I knew my daddy was a fixer of anything mechanical. He was a brilliant and kind man, poor but a millionaire in spirit, and I loved him. But when he died, I heard my father described as a good friend to many. I heard my father described as the best of siblings. I heard that my father took care of a lot of people and possessions, and he preserved the heritage of black folks by taking care of their burial ground. Saints walk among us all the time. Mm. Too often we do not recognize them until they are gone. Mm. And my dad specifically got described as a saint by my sister's ex-husband's mother who came to my dad's funeral. Mm. And after the funeral, she said, I knew he was a good man, but I didn't know he was a saint. And that was based on what everybody said about him at that funeral. Mm. Yeah, I I think that that's so poignant. I love that you shared a poem. I love when you start us with poems 
because it allows us to travel with you in this trans this transformation of memory into the creative holding of a person within within the breath because I always come back to the poem as this container of breath and the breath is what unifies us it still is um, so vibrant and so vibrantly alive so what else do you want to share about grandpa ah, I should share this why do I call my grandpa grandpa so um, because you obviously call grandpa daddy um, my father is boppy so I think it was just this kid thing co combination of cultures and terms that grandfather granddad became grandpop because my father is boppy so um i think that's where it came from well my first thing i want to say is different than many of the other people we've described in our journey on this podcast his original documents like his birth record and death certificate seem to be accurate <laughs> so this is one of those rare experiences where the names of the people are right, the birth dates appear right, the the informant on his death certificate was me, so I hope we did get all those <laughs> relationships right. And uh, again, this is not typical based on what our experience has been along this journey. So he is the son of Albert Thomas and Alberta Byrd, Alberta Thomas, and he's from the Uniontown, Pennsylvania, was born in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, and is from the line of Thomases that go back to at least Josiah Thomas, Jacob Thomas, and was from that line of the Thomas family. And in Uniontown, we talk about the different sides of the family. So his grandfather was Walter Thomas. Walter Thomas's father was Philip Thomas. And Philip Thomas's father was Josiah Thomas. And so land was always important to my family. When he, when I was born, he was in the military. And we've talked, I think, previously about the fact that it was a year after his discharge that he and my mother came to Uniontown. They did bring me to Uniontown to stay with my grandmother, but then they came to town for a while, lived with his grandfather, my great-grandfather, and then he built the house that we grew up in, he and my grandfather. So he was always a person who was industrious. I say could fix anything, although I told him that story once when a bus that he had converted to a motorhome the engine blew apart. And I said, oh, you'll just fix it. And he said, no, Norma, I can't just fix this engine. It has blown apart. We have to get a new engine. But I was always convinced that he could fix anything. There was nothing he couldn't put together, take apart, and repair. Well, and he did. I have all these memories of our broken toys and my brother breaking a remote control car, for example, and bringing it to my grandfather and him fixing it. And it might have had to do some, some jerry-rigging there, but fixing it. And the same thing, we, we were, uh, this is where we get, we get the, we were spoiled. Because we had those cars that you could ride, like actually ride in as mm -hmm. kids, which is so irresponsible. I don't know why you bought us those things. Like, we didn't have licenses. We lived in the city. Like, <laughs> this was not a good idea. But anyway, we had these cars. 
And one was blue, one was red. Can't remember which which one it was that broke. But I want to say Grandpa fixed it once. And then after that, whatever it was, couldn't be couldn't be fixed. Well, but the idea what happened you, yeah. with at least one of those cars is we gave it to my Uncle Jim Pete for his his grandchildren. And I think they rode it once and went right into the street <laughs> with it. And that was the end of them <laughs> driving in that car. Uh, and one of them sat in my dad's basement for a very long time. I think it was the red one was in the basement for a very long time. But again, he back to how I described him. Mm-hmm. My my father only went to the tenth grade. We previously told the story of what happened that sparked his leaving the the public school system. But my dad could help us with complex math or algebra one, two, geometry, trigonometry, never had it in school. And I would say to him, how can you help us with what you never learned in school? And he would say, it's just logical. Mm -hmm. And I would say, there's nothing logical about (laughs) trigonometry and algebra one and two. What is logical about this? But he could help us with those things. His work ethic was clear. My dad worked with my grandfather for years in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. They would come in on Friday and he would have to leave again on Sunday. And he worked for a company called the Crane Company, which manufactured tubs, sinks, toilets. And he described taking the hot molten parts for these, these, um, uh, what, the, the toilets yeah. and, and the tubs, and he showed us the scars where it had gotten on his skin and left marks. And so this was not easy work. This was factory work, and and they lived away from their family. Uh, at some point, well, I should also follow up that when he came in on Friday, we still didn't see him <laughs> because he worked either at George's Motors, which was an auto, auto, auto body place, or he worked for Trucio's coal yard. So him and my grandfather would be dealing with coal. So we didn't, they worked even when they were home and supposedly relaxing and seeing family. So constant work. Well, and you have to note around like the the preciousness of, of meat in your house and mm. the guarding of my grandmother over the meat with the, the eyes and mouths of children wanting to descend and to eat all that was there. Well, now when people get a steak, an individual can get a whole steak. It's still amazing to me that you can go in a restaurant or you go in the store, you buy the steak, and the steak is just for you. But when we were growing up, the steak was for the whole family. And so we had... My mother had to guard that my poor dad could get a piece of this steak because the rest of us would be eyeing it, that we would want to eat what was what was left for him. So he, he worked very, very hard. It was either, I thought it was 13, but then I look back on something I wrote that it was, for, that I wrote 14, when he decided that the time had come for him not to continue to go to Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And he decided that he was going to get a job in town because he said his children were getting older and that he needed to be in town. My 
my grandmother, I know a lot of people were really upset with him because that meant my grandfather was continuing to go to Newcastle. He continued to do that till he retired. And they wanted Daddy to continue to do that so he would travel with Picky. And my dad said no. And he started his, oh, he worked for George's Motors for a while, and then it burned down. And Daddy said, I was bringing all the work there anyway. And so he started his own business. And in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, that was unique for a African-American man to have his own business. Yes. And, but was he being paid all the time? Um, that's, he was being paid through trade sometimes. Well, some chickens. You know, again, we had the barter system. Right. So daddy would fix a car and then we'd get our hair done or, mm -hmm. you know, so there was those things that, and, and since he did his own business, he did his own books. <laughs> so you don't really know how much my dad made or didn't <laughs> make because he did the books himself. So he did, you know, whatever the tax man, he, he, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, hopefully he gave the Caesar what was Caesar's, but <laughs> well, I would I suspect also, not. <laughs> well, I also love too, a part of the story is like he had the, the shop and then he also had a, clearly a love of cars so much so that there were many cars right outside the door <laughs> of the house um, some that had been, you know, perhaps a goal of repairing them sometime in the future, but never happened. And so when he transitioned, they had kind of sunk into the ground, but some beautiful cars, so much so that too, that, you know, everybody in the family, when they needed a car, had a car and that changed people's perception of you in town, mommy, right? Well, it's something we took for granted because there was always a car. Now, nobody knew that those cars were wrecks when my dad got them and he fixed them. So we had a beautiful Cadillac, but, you know, it was a $200 totaled car that daddy worked on and that's how we could drive it. So as long as I could, when I learned to drive, I had a car. And, you know, that's a blessing and a curse because, of course, I wind up driving everybody to every place they had to go but I had a car my friends didn't have cars and so that was again things that you took for granted but because of that people also thought we were rich because we had these cars that again people didn't know were junk cars when so they often would break down but because my dad was a mechanic they would get fixed very fast. I drove a Bonneville once and I hit the turn signal and it fell off in my hand. <laughs> and I said, Daddy, you know, what is this? And he said, oh, just stick your hand out the window. <laughs> that that works. Just do hand signals. And it's like, no, fix this car. So, you know, my again, my dad had had the skills to do not only the work in the car, but work in the house and just to to reinforce what Raina said when my dad transitioned we had at least one motor home in the yard because we had a big yard so one motor home in the yard two boats we had a truck we had several cars and my dad was a collector so he the cars were filled the motor home was filled with stuff that we had to clean out and sell Luckily, for the most part, we found the titles or were able to obtain the titles. But it was funny. I do lectures on hoarding behavior <laughs> and talked in Uniontown about our yard that had all this stuff in it that we didn't 
think twice about because, again, we had this big yard, so cars were on blocks or sunk into the mud. And someone at the event said, oh, yeah, I used to walk through your yard <laughs> to go to school. So it was a little embarrassing that with me describing our yard, they knew what where I was talking <laughs> about because we had all these vehicles that that were there, but that was part of my existence. I want to go back a little bit to the the facts, too, because you said all the men of, like, Grandpop, and then it was um, uh, Picky, Albert Thomas's father, and then Walter Thomas, his father. But I don't want to lose sight of the women in our family as well. So Grandpop's mother being Alberta Bird Thomas, um, Granny, who was one of the early, we focused on her for one of the early episodes, and then um, her mother, Annie Rubottom, and also don't want to lose sight of Walter's wife, who was Julia Thomas. Um, and we've just talked about the um, Thomas Cemetery and, and in the previous um, episode. And she is buried there next to Walter. So um, we are not just made up of the men who may have also controlled the land, but also our, our, the, our women, the, the matriarchs, the, all of our peoples. Um, should be remembered in recounting. And I'm hoping at some point we can talk more about them. I wanted yeah. to talk about my dad specifically because we had talked about my mom. Yes. And so I wanted to make sure that he got equal focus because he was, He's for remarkable. us, he he was always the stabilizer. He 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 was the person who never seemed to get mad at us. <laughs> so... When we would do something wrong, he would just say, you did something wrong. I mean, he never hollered at us. He was a big believer that men should not ever strike children, so he was not one for corporal punishment. He was the even-killed person that didn't seem to get upset. I mean, I, I've seen him upset, but it was upset at other people, often poor workmanship around working mm. in the garage. But he was not a person that would raise his voice at any of us. Although there is a story of my Aunt Stacy getting into something and him going up and over a hill and he was going to get his daughter out of this situation. Oh, yeah. He went in. She called and said she was being held captive by somebody. And he goes busting in the house with his gun. And they said, well, Mr. Thomas, she's not being held captive. So my dad was like my mom. You don't mess with the children no that um so yeah my dad could definitely he had a temper but it was never focused on us at all and I can remember him teaching me how to drive and almost running into a tree now my mother would have almost had a heart attack screaming at me my dad said Norma you almost ran into that tree <laughs> is what he said and it's like yeah I know I was ran into the tree but he never you, you you never got this harsh word, this discipline. He left the discipline to my mother. That was just something. And I, I he got mad at your dad once because mm, yeah. your dad, um, uh, you have a, an older brother and sister that when we were dating, he, you know, your dad brought to the house and they were in the yard and somebody gave them meat and they were vegetarians and nobody knew this. And so your your father disciplined, you know, the, the two children. And my dad, I walked in the house, and he had lost his mind because he said nobody should ever discipline children. And 
and it was his yard and his family, and my mother's holding him back saying, but those are his children. And my my and I witnessed this, and I said to, to my husband, never, ever, ever say anything to any children in front of my dad mm. because that's the maddest I've ever seen him in my life. And he, and he loved your, your dad. Mm-hmm. But, but so he he was, you know, back to that description of being very family-oriented. Yes. That was him. That was definitely him. So I, I also remember this one story about the document, the marriage certificate mm. of Grandpa and Grandmom. And I remember you telling me that in conversation with him, he had said, oh, you'll never find that. You'll never find that birth certificate. We deci- or excuse me, that marriage certificate. We decided to get married, crossed a bridge over to Alabama, got married there. Don't even kind of remember the date, really. And I, I know you found it. I know I found it. I, I found it on, on online, found them on the rolls, the marriage rolls. Well, I found it back in the day that you yeah. couldn't find this stuff yeah. online. So when my mother died in 1986, I said, well, Daddy, you're eligible for the Social Security death right. benefit, which is like $200, $250. And he said, well, I don't have the marriage certificate. You will never be able to find it. We got married when he was in the military station in Columbia, South Carolina, which is where he met my mother. And he said, we went over this bridge and went to this county in Alabama. So I looked to see what, <laughs> where that could possibly be, what county wrote to that county and got the, death, uh, the marriage certificate so he could get his Social Security death benefit. And I said, Daddy, never underestimate what social <laughs> workers can do because I have to do this for people in terms of finding their documents so that they could be eligible for benefits. And he was in shock that I could find this marriage certificate. So I have it. I guess it's one of those documents I should probably upload to Ancestry. It's already but, up there. It's oh, up there. Okay. So Well, yeah, you know. nowadays all the, that information is there. But, again, back when I started this journey, it was really – interesting that it didn't take that much to find that death certificate so never oh, marriage certificate marriage certificate i don't know why i keep saying death certificate but marriage certificate and i guess that points to a factor never believe that you can't find something yeah. it, it may take a lot of work and much of this is now online but not everything is is readily accessible and whenever you find it print it out and mm-hmm. save it and share it with other people <laughs> ideally right um and i also think that um if you need help in doing your own research talk to a social worker <laughs> apparently <laughs> that's a specific well because we we do have to help people find their documents a number and uh, many times that's people who are members of the african-american community that they just don't have access mm. to these birth records and these identification records at a time when people want you to have this stuff to be able to even vote that there are people who just don't have it. And so one of the roles of a good social worker is to be an advocate, but also to be able to be good researchers to help people find their documents. And, you know, there are others who can can help along the way. But, yes, I was able to find, because he he would often say to me, "You, you can't, you know, I would, I, when, when it was time to apply for, 
my mother's um, to see if he could get higher benefits after my mom died. And he kept saying, oh, you can't do that. That won't happen. Mm. And and when I was asking him to start that process, he procrastinated. And one day he finally went to Social Security to apply for benefits under her name and realized that he had missed there, there was a time when Social Security would go back retroactive, and mm. then they stopped doing that. And he said to me, uh, I apply. he called me at work, and he never called me at work. So I just knew somebody died. It was just, you know, some tragedy. And he's like, I just went down and applied for getting uh, Social Security benefits under your mom, and and they told me I couldn't get retroactive benefits. And I said, so how many years have I been telling you to do the same thing? And he said, well, you should have tried harder. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was stubborn. <laughs> so yes. so that he had this belief that it wasn't possible. And again, never, never think about the fact that you can't get benefits that you might be entitled to. Go, mm. I, I'm working with my sister now to get benefits because she was based at Camp, Camp Lejeune, yeah. and she keeps saying, oh, I can't get anything. I'm not on that list of illnesses. And I'm like, could you please just register anyway? Mm. Maybe they'll expand the list of ailments that that qualify people. Mm-hmm. The more people, you know, get on, on Facebook and other groups talking about this because you were on that base for a while. Mm. And so, and she also has a lot of chronic problems. So mm. never not do something because you talk yourself out of it. Mm. We, we are our own worst enemy sometimes in talking yourself out of things. So is there anything else you'd like to share about Grandpa today? Uh, that he, I also want to mention that he was a DJ in oh, his yeah. life, and and Raina found that really surprising. But he had an extensive record collection no that his children got into. I know at some point, and he lamented that we destroyed all his records. <laughs> but he was a DJ in town, so he was a a man of many, many, many talents. A person that did not go far in school, but was brilliant nonetheless as were others in his his siblings. Mm-hmm. And people uh, walk among us that are very, very, very much community-oriented. Between him and my mother, they were very, very involved in community without talking about their th- the things that they did. And again, sometimes it's when they're gone that you realize how much people did depend on them, he he became the caretaker of Clearview Cemetery when we could not bury easily my aunt Doris in the cemetery. She was buried there, but the family couldn't go in the cemetery um, the date that they went to bury her because it was so overgrown. And he became the caretaker for ten years, out of his own pocket, lifted stones, hired people to wrench up stones that had fallen, and. And tore up many a tractor, trying to clear as much of that cemetery as he could. And he wasn't paid for that Mm -hmm. for the 10 years that he did it. So he did a lot of work in the community that, again, and he was friends to many people. He took care of a number of people that we didn't know about. Mm. We didn't know about. I didn't know that he was 
for example, paying the taxes and the utilities on a property that was owned by his grandfather and then his his um, aunt and uncle that he paid that property tax and he kept the utilities on for years. And when he died, that stopped because I could not continue to do that on a property we would never own. But he did it mm-hmm. and knowing he would never own that property. But he did it because it was family land mm-hmm. and he wanted to make sure it did not get lost for taxes, which unfortunately eventually happened. So... He he did all that work, and nobody knew he was doing all that work mm-hmm. until he was gone. So if you were to say that you do or have this quality from Grandpa, what would it be? Well, I know we have the strong work ethic mm-hmm. that no one ever had to tell us to get up and go to work, and we are fiercely independent. We get that both from both sides. We're family-oriented people. And we are um, community people. Yes. We give back. So I think all those things we get from my, my father. So I'll claim all of those things. I will also say that Grandpa was a puzzler. He really liked oh, jigsaw yeah, liked, puzzles. But we so. didn't know that either until he died. Because That is not true. I used to watch him um, do really? puzzles. Yeah. He had a whole desk, a drafting table right next to the couch, which was had these massive puzzles. And I would watch him doing them. Well, and so. I guess I didn't pay attention until we're cleaning out things. And mm. then downstairs there was one puzzle that was still together that I actually polyurethane and put in a frame. So that's in my house. That's the one that... that th- and that I think it's poignant to, the clock. <laughs> to note around what's missing from that puzzle. Well, when we brought it back to Philadelphia, there were two pieces missing. And my father and sister died within 24 hours of each other. So there's only two pieces missing. They are right next to each other. And I always thought this symbolized the two missing uh, pieces in our life. But I didn't notice that he did puzzles until downstairs there were boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of puzzles that carloads of puzzles that we took to Goodwill when we were cleaning out the house. Yeah, I I remember that so fondly that it's something that with um, my husband, Mateo, when we were first coupled before we had a dog, um, we would get puzzles and we would do puzzles together every night while we were having our dinner together. And it was part of our, you know, like our beginning couple practice. He and also I w- liked trains. And I, oh, and, and yeah, and trains, absolutely. Um, and when later in our lives, when a friend gave me a massive amount of those Brio trains, I, I think about him often when I, when I'm playing with my kids in those trains, I love trains. So. He loved airplanes too. He, yep. he, he was a paratrooper. Yes. He got training. So he jumped out of planes. A perfectly uh, good plane. He and when he came <laughs> to my house in Southwest Philly, we lived near so close to the airport. You could actually see the people in the train and the plane when the plane was descending to go to the airport. It's very close to our house. He would sit on the front porch. Mm-hmm. with watching the the planes mm-hmm. he loved it yeah and so i invite you all to think about as you describe as you remember your beloveds to think about what you have inherited from them what is generational and that's at the root of this podcast generational archives is also about 
that piece that is generational. It's generational to be community oriented. It's generational to um, to be creative in this way. It's generational to have a compassion for um, folks that doesn't have to be proclaimed. Th this is generational. What is generational for you? So thank you all for joining us once again for Generational Archives. If you dig the podcast, like, subscribe, support us on Patreon, sh share the news, email us, all the things, um, we are available to you. And as you um, provide some feedback, we are eager to create um, episodes in response. We're on the YouTube. Every now and then we go live on my Tiki Talk at Reina J. Leon. And we post on Instagram under StoryJoy Inc., which is the company that we have together, as well as under my name, Reina Leon, on Instagram. So see you on all the interwebs. And thank you again for listening. We look forward to reading your comments, ask us questions about family history. If there's information that you want that we might have, please let us know. And we are um, open to crafting future episodes based on what you would like us to bring forth. So thank you. Bye, y'all. Find Bye. your generational. <laughs>